dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, listeners. This is Father Michael. Uh, this week's episode is actually not a podcast, but rather is the talk that Mother Natalia gave at the Southern California uh, Annunciation Retreat on the Feast of the Annunciation at the Feast of, on the Parish of the Annunciation. Um, Mother talks about God fulfilling his promises. This was, again, a talk given on the Feast of Annunciation. So you will see that theme there. Um, she talks about how we are not always aware of what fulfillment looks like when God does fulfill our promises, as he promises he will. Um, also, that we have misconceptions about what fulfillment looks like. Also, my favorite part um, was Mother talking about how when God fulfills the promises to us, the gifts or the graces from that promise are not just for us, but actually find their fulfillment in us sharing those with others. Um, she, uh, she, one of the examples she uses is when Lazarus, uh, the gifts given to him was just the fact that he was risen from the dead and his only work was dying. And then that was such a gift to those who were um, around him to see his resurrection that prepared them for um, Christ's own resurrection. Um, also, she talks about how every annunciation leads to, leads to a visitation. So Mary's annunciation led to her visitation of her, her kinswoman, um, Elizabeth, and how we all benefit from the gifts that are promised to and then fulfilled in others. Since this is not a podcast, there is no banter. So sorry, um, all of you who like banter, but uh, we're just going right into the episode today. So enjoy. Uh, when Deacon Greg asked me which mic I preferred, I actually picked the lapel, uh, mostly because I get really nervous when I'm speaking, um, and, uh, so my palms get sweaty, and so I'm sorry to whoever has to hold this mic after me, um, maybe every once in a while I'll just kind of swap it, and so that's specifically why I chose to not do the handheld mic, so, uh, whoever has this after me, I'm very sorry. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing, I've got my stuff up here all awkward, and I don't know what order I need it, so... Uh, we've already prayed, we've prayed a bit today, and um, Father Michael gave me his blessing, but I'm very nervous, so if we could just um, start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, everywhere present and filling all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O gracious one. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so, uh, yeah, like Deacon Greg said, my background is in engineering, and so I'm naturally a pretty awkward person, and um, it's basically what that means. And I'm, I, I get very nervous when, when I give talks, and so I thank you for, for bearing with me through that. I also, I'm, I'm really grateful that Father Michael is here as well, Father Michael Lachlan, to give a talk to you guys later today, because I think that between the two of us, there's very much an aspect of like being all things to all people, because we're very different, we speak very differently, um, and we have different things to offer, so I'm grateful for that, because I don't have, like Father Michael, uh, a seminary background, I've never studied theology, uh, or anything like that. So, I used to be very self-conscious about this. But then I came across this quote by, by Evagrius the Solitary, Evagrius Ponsipus, who's, who's one of my favorite guys. And Evagrius says that he who truly prays is a theologian. And a theologian is one who truly prays. Um, 
So, though I've not studied theology, um, well, the truth of it is I, I don't really know how to truly pray yet either, but, but my whole life is about like trying to pray better and learning to pray, so I guess you're kind of like in my theology studies with me, and, and that's what I have to offer you today is, is the fruits of my prayer. Uh, so as I was preparing for this talk, over the last few weeks I've been kind of thinking a lot about what to share with you guys, and, and looking at some of the propers for the feast, and looking at scripture, and like finding these cool connections and things like that. Um, but then this week on my retreat day, I went for a hike, and, and as I was hiking, I was praying about the talk. And I was like, you know, Jesus, I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of reading, uh, but what do you want? What, what do you think people need to hear today? And the response that I heard was, they need to hear the same thing as you, which is that I am a God who keeps his promises. So that's what this entire talk is going to be about. That's what I want to unpack about the Feast of the Annunciation, is that our God is a God who keeps his promises. Because I know that every person in this room, myself included, has had a lot of broken promises. And there are a lot of wounds, and there are a lot of aches, and, um, and I think we can project that onto God sometimes. We can think that the way that the, the, the men and women in our life, lives have failed us, that God is going to fail us in the same way. And that um, he makes these big promises throughout scripture, but he doesn't really mean them for us. So, so that's what I want to talk about. And I'm going to do that through the, the scripture um, and through the propers for today's feast. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the theme, is that our God is a God who keeps his promises. Um, so first, I just want to read again for you the passage from Luke for today. Um, the, the passage of the Annunciation. So this is, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I do not know man? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. 
Let it be done according to me, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So as I was sitting with this passage, the first thing I realized was this entire passage is the fulfillment of a promise. Because it's a fulfillment of a prophecy. It's a fulfillment of many prophecies. But specifically, if we, if we look back to, to Zephaniah chapter 3, the prophecy of Zephaniah, he's talking about the Annunciation. Right? This is the last chapter of Zephaniah, and the whole thing is about the restoration of Israel. And the prophet's using words like, on that day. And when we hear the prophets talk about on that day, they're referring to the day of the Lord. They're referring to the day of the Messiah. So Zephaniah says, on that day, and then he goes on to talk about um, the restoration of Israel. And part of that is he uses the same word. He says, rejoice and exult with all your heart. This is the word that the angel says to Mary when he says, hail. He's saying, rejoice. In the same prophecy, he says, do not fear, O Zion. Do not be afraid, Mary. Zephaniah is using the same words that Gabriel will then use later when he speaks to Mary. So this passage is, is a fulfillment of, um, of Zephaniah 3. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit later about, um, about the prophecies being, being promises. And the, the promises um, being fulfilled through the coming of the Lord. But if we skip ahead a little bit in Luke to when to when Mary visits Elizabeth, because there's this beautiful there's this beautiful um, kind of framing device that we see in the scripture here, because the Annunciation is, is sandwiched right in the middle of the story of John the Baptist. Right, we hear right before the Annunciation, we hear about um, the conception of John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. And then we have the Annunciation, and then we have Mary going to visit Elizabeth. So I think that this, this should tell us that the Annunciation, the Annunciation being in the middle of this means that the birth of John the Baptist and the conception of John the Baptist are also very important to the story. So a few verses later, as Mary is visiting Elizabeth, um, John the Baptist leaves in Elizabeth's womb. We all know the story. And, and then Elizabeth says, For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And this next verse is the one that I want to point out. She says, Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is saying that Mary is blessed because she believed that God was going to come through on what he had promised. She was blessed because she trusted in him. She was blessed because she believed. And that believing is not always a very easy thing. Um, I brought with me the Proverbs for the Feast of the Annunciation. The Vespers Proppers, the Matins Proppers, and I want to go through some of those with you guys for the rest of the talk. 
there's this really beautiful, um, this beautiful kind of dialogue in the Matins Proper's, Matins is, is morning prayer, and there's this dialogue in the Matins Proper's between Mary and Gabriel. So this is, of course, not, um, we're not saying as we pray these things that, like, these were the exact words, this was the exact exchange that happened between Gabriel and Mary, right? This is an, this is an example uh, of, the, of some of the, the early fathers, like, praying with scripture and sharing the fruits of their prayer and putting that into our liturgy. So the entire canon at Matins this morning was a going back and forth between, between Mary and Gabriel. And in Ode 6, Gabriel says, God promised Abraham, our forefather, that the Gentiles would be blessed through his seed, O pure lady. Today, through you, this promise is fulfilled. That struck me at first simply because it twice uses the word promise, and that's what I had been praying with, but then also, when I was, when I was chanting the, um, not the epistles, not the epistle, when I was chanting the Old Testament reading, uh, I'm just going to get a second stand. I have a lot of things. Thank you, Father Stephen, for bringing this up. That was great. Um, he's like, she's a woman. She's probably going to have a lot of stuff. We never pack lightly. And this knew what was going to happen. So I'm grateful for that foresight. So, um... But then also because when I was when I was chanting the Old Testament reading at Pre-Sanctified uh, about a week ago, I was also struck by this passage of Abraham. Because in in the scripture, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, this is the call of Abram. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. The reason this struck me is because I think there's a beautiful connection here to Mary and what she proclaims in the Magnificat her response to Elizabeth. Because we hear the same language about Mary. We hear that she's, she's going to be blessed for all generations. But what the, Lord hears, what, what, what the Lord says to Abram here is, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I think that's really important because we can be kind of very selfish with our blessings and we can want to be blessed for our own sake, but we are never blessed only for our own sake. What God does for us, he does for all of those who are involved. And what he gives to us, he wants us to share. I think that we can see this very clearly um, in the story of Lazarus, right? Because after Lazarus, um, after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, raised him from the dead, um, people flocked to see Lazarus. 
right? And it was actually such a big problem that the chief priests decided that they wanted to put Lazarus to death again. Um, because it was like making such a commotion, and they're like, if people see this guy, they're going to believe in Jesus. So we need to kill him to solve this problem. And, and I'm just like, when I think about that, I'm like, all of these people are going to see Lazarus. All of these people are coming to believe in Jesus because they see Lazarus. And what did Lazarus do? He died. Like, he didn't do these, like, magnificent things, right? It was all about what was done for him by the Lord. The Lord raising him from the dead then brought all of these other people to Jesus. And he raised him from the dead for him. And he raised him from the dead for Martha and Mary. But he also raised him from the dead for all of those who were going to come to believe through him. So I think it's important for us to remember that our blessings are not only for us. What the Lord does through us, he does for everyone. There's this really great book, uh, if, if you don't have it, I highly recommend it. It's called The Year of Grace of the Lord. It's written by, and I quote, a monk of the Eastern Church. That's the author. Uh, the Year of Grace of the Lord. And it goes through uh, the liturgical year for us Eastern Catholics, um, Eastern Christians. It goes through the liturgical year, and, uh, and there's commentary on like, the different Sundays and things like that. And when he writes about the Annunciation, I want to share the end of what he writes. He says, In the life of every Christian, there will be divine annunciations. Moments when God lets us know his will and his intention concerning us. In other words, moments in which God is making promises to us. But all these annunciations must unite to become the one essential annunciation. The annunciation that Jesus can be born in us, can be born through us, not in the same way that he was conceived and brought into the world by the Virgin Mary, for that is a unique miracle that cannot be equaled, but in the sense that the Savior takes spiritual and at the same time very real possession of our being. And then let us remember that every authentic annunciation is immediately followed by a visitation. The divine favor that has been granted to us must straight away release an impulse in us to let it flow out to our brothers, which is expressed through some loving word or act. That is why the gospel reading at Matins for the Annunciation is the account of Mary's, Mary's visit to Elizabeth. Immediately after her meeting with Gabriel, the mother of God goes to her cousin to share with Elizabeth and John the radiance of its grace. You know, I was just talking with someone last night about, he was talking about some of his, uh, some of his ministry and, and the ways that he works for the Lord. And he said that he realized that every once in a while, um, he gets so involved in his ministry that he ha he's not really thinking about Jesus anymore. And he's not really looking at Jesus anymore. And in his ministry, he just starts to, to feel dry 
and to feel exhausted. Um, and that's when he realizes he needs to go back to the Lord to be replenished. But he knows, this, this guy that I was talking to, he realized um, that this isn't actually the ideal of how it should be. It shouldn't be that we give and we give and we give and then we're so exhausted that we go back to the Lord to be refilled so that we can go give and give and give. It's a constant receiving and a constant giving. It's that we receive so much from the Lord that it overflows for the people around us. Right? Mary received the Lord and that joy overflowed into her visitation to Elizabeth. And this is, this is how it needs to be for us. Um, I have a really cool visitation story that I'm not going to share right now, but if anyone wants to hear it later, it's about um, Steve and Melissa Davies, who are here somewhere. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool story about the visitation, so you can ask me about that later. So the Magnificat, what Mary says to Elizabeth at the visitation I think is really interesting because this is this is where she says that all generations will call her blessed. And um, and in that same line I think this is really powerful. In that same line Mary says that the Lord came to her in her humility. And the reason I think this is important is because we think of humility too often today as like, I'm worthless, there's no good in me, I can't do anything, um, basically I'm a piece of garbage, is, is what we think humility is. And we might not say that because we know that that's not the right answer, but that's how we act when we talk about humility. Um, and it's interesting because in the Magnificat, in the very same line, Mary says the Lord has looked with favor on her humility, and she will be called blessed for all generations. And so it's like she's going to be known forever. And yet she is also our supreme example of humility. So I think that's like a really, a really good thing to note. Because humility is to know the truth. Humility is to know that, that we are not the owners of our good. That we are the, the tillers and the keepers of ourselves and of our bodies. But the only thing that we actually own, the only thing that's not the Lord's, is our sin. Which is why Mary could be totally filled and totally magnify the Lord, because she has none of that sin. And so the more we, the more we are purified, and the more that we grow in virtue, which is the more that we grow in the, in the likeness to the to the likeness to God um, that's been damaged in the fall. As we grow in virtue, as we grow in the likeness of God, as we magnify Him more, like that's humility. 
Humility is to say, he really can use me and wants to use me. Humility is, I've done nothing but die and let Jesus raise me from the dead. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the icon of, is there an icon of pumps of the entrance into Jerusalem in here? There are a lot of, I don't see one. Um, oh, probably along the walls here. There's an icon of uh, the, the entry into Jerusalem over here. Um, so that's really far away. I have very bad eyesight. But um, what, what's probably in that icon is you see Jesus riding on a donkey, as he did, and you see people like throwing down clothes onto the ground in front of the donkey, right? And as I was praying with this icon a couple of years ago, I was like, Jesus isn't even touching the ground. Jesus is sitting on the donkey. Like, they're throwing these clothes on the ground for the donkey to walk on. And, like, we're the donkey. So, so the, to have the humility is to say, like, because we are bearing Christ, because we are becoming God, as we're given eyes, as we become God, then, like, we need to walk in such a manner. We need to be humble enough to say that, like, the Lord has entrusted this to me, and thus I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to go with it, as opposed to saying, I'm not good enough, and so so I can't do it. You know, Father Michael was talking in his homily at Peace Sanctified last night. He he likes to say that when um, I'm just going to use your talk for mine. So <laughs> sorry, not sorry. When um, when God asks us to do something, our first response should be, "I can't." And then the next part should be. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, we're the donkeys. You know, I often tell people, like, when I give talks and things like that, um, I don't really have a lot of the, like, knowledge, but I'm like, if God could use Balaam's ass, he can use this donkey. Um, and so I think that's, like, a really good image for us. And also, you know, as, as Father Stephen was saying in his homily today, if you look at the icons of Mary, like, she's always pointing to Jesus, right? In our iconography, Mary is always pointing to Jesus. And this is the humility. The entire Magnificat, she's pointing back to Jesus. She's pointing to the goodness of the Lord. But she also said yes, right? So if this is about a God who keeps his promises, what is his promise? Why do we have the incarnation? I'm gonna, I wanted to tell you guys this because, um, oh my gosh, that was weird. I just like scratched my ear with my other hand and it reminded me of one of my physics professors. He used to always do this thing when he was thinking, 
Like someone would ask him a question and he had like the world's longest arms. He was like a monkey man. And he, um, and I forgot this talk's being recorded, that's fine. And he, uh, he would always like, someone would ask him a question and then he would reach his arm up and like scratch his chin. Um, and it was very strange. Sorry, do you want a picture of that? Uh, so, anyways, that's basically what I just did. Um, so, why the Incarnation? Because I think that most of us Christians, um, probably especially us Catholics, if someone says, like, well, why did Jesus, why did God become man? Like, why the Incarnation? Uh, I think we'd be like, uh... Or we would come up with, like, we would try to come up with some like lengthy explanation of, of why God became man. But it's actually put very simply in Scripture and in our Proverbs. So I want to share something from Scripture and something from our, our Proverbs. In, um, at Vespers, for the Annunciation, it says, having ex accepted his greeting, she, meaning of course Mary, conceived the eternal God who ineffably deigned to become incarnate. Why? It doesn't say why, but I just put that in there. Why? For the salvation of our souls. This is the entire answer. This is the promise. This is why God became incarnate. For the salvation of our souls. It's that simple. Our reading today at Liturgy from the letter to the Hebrews, also gives us an answer of why God became incarnate. Why did he become incarnate? This is Hebrews 2, chapter, I just said the chapter, Hebrews 2, verse 14. He himself partook of the same nature, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Why did God become incarnate? Why did God become man? He became man, he took on flesh and blood so that we could be saved and released from bondage. That's the very simple answer of it. And this goes back to the fall, because in the in the Vespers Proverbs also, one of the hymns that we sing is Rejoice, O Holy Virgin, through whom Adam is called back to paradise. Eve is free from bondage, and the world filled with joy. And I'm going to talk more about the fall later. But I think this is an important thing to remember. It's that since Adam and Eve, we've been in bondage. And when God became man, he did so to release us from our bondage. He did so to save us. That's the promise. I want to share a story from my pre-tantra retreat. Um, so tonsure, our tonsure is when we receive the habit, the title sister, our new name. Um, it's that life profession that we become mother. So at my tonsure, um, shout out to 
Nathaniel Dean, who's not in this room, but he was born the day that I was tonsured, and I took my name after Nathaniel, and so I like to pretend that he was named after me, but he wasn't. Uh, but I prayed for him a lot. So, um, his dad's father, Deacon Jonathan Dean. So, at my pre-tonsure retreat, uh, Father Michael directed my retreat, and at one point I was getting like really caught up in my head, which I tend to do a lot, and and finally, like Father Michael was giving me like four holy hours a day to pray with, and I was just so caught up in my head that uh, finally he says, you know, what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you a holy hour today. Um, let's go see a movie, and I was like. Father Michael, this is a silent retreat. And he says, well, are you going to talk during the movie? <laughs> and, and I was like, no. And he was like, which I probably did. And he was like, then it's fine. So we go see a movie. He has no idea what movie we're going to go see. We just like go to the theater. And um, and there was this movie in, in theater, Moana. Uh, how many of you have seen Moana? Okay, great. Um, I'm going to put this out there. Moana is like one of my favorite movies in the world. It's amazing. And I know that it's pagan. You don't have to tell me. But like, God uses pagans too. And um, Moana and Man of God are like two. How many of you have seen Man of God? Oh, man. With all of the authority that I do not have, I put all of you under obedience to see Man of God, including you, Father Michael O'Loughlin. Um, it's such a good movie. But anyways, back to Moana. Away from St. Nectarius for a moment, back to Moana. Um, we go see this movie, and I'm like weeping through the movie. And I think Father Michael's just like, what is wrong with this woman? And, uh, but he'd seen me cry for many years at that point, so it was fine. And the next day, he gives me my holy hours. And for one of them, he's like, and my holy hours were, I, like, he would either give me scripture or something particular to pray with or whatever. And for one of my holy hours, he says, for this one, I want you to just, like, let Jesus start the conversation. And I was like, okay, like, Jesus is just going to start the conversation. Um, that's not how prayer works, Father Michael. So I, I sit down for that holy hour. And, and I, like, open my heart in prayer, and I'm canoeing with Jesus because Jesus and I, like, canoe. It's weird. Anyways, and, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, hey, Jesus, what are we going to talk about? And, um, that was totally our And, and then Jesus goes, I want you to tell me what you're afraid of. And first, I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. Uh, but second, I was like, no, I'm not afraid of anything. Jesus, like with the tonsure. And he's like, yeah, I think you're free. And I was like, no, this is great. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for tonsure. I'm not afraid. I know this is what you want, and so it's fine. And then he says, I think you're afraid that I'm not going to follow through on my promises. And I was just like, oh. I didn't know that I was afraid of that, but I'm, I think I'm afraid of that. And 
And then, and then he says, I'm making very big promises to you. And it's okay to be afraid. And then, as I kind of paused in prayer, this image came to my mind. And it was a scene from Moana. And so for those of you who haven't seen Moana, I'm sorry, this isn't going to make sense, and it's going to sound really pagan because it is. But for those of you who have seen Moana, you know the context. So um, I guess I'll try to give the context. Moana has been sent to like get the heart of Tafiti. Um, again. And uh, so she's been sent on this big journey, and then she finally gets to a breaking point where she's just like, I can't do this. You picked the wrong person. And so she says, you picked the wrong person. And she has the heart of Tahiti, and she throws it back in the ocean, and then she's going to go home. And then her grandma, who has died, appears to her. And there's this beautiful scene in which basically the grandma says, you don't have to do this, and you can go home, and I still love you. And it's like very clear that Moana is the one who needs to do this, and that if she chooses not to, the consequences for the island that she left are going to be dire. But that, like, she doesn't have to. And so that scene came to me in prayer. And as I sat with that, I realized that because I really felt like the Lord was asking me to do this, because I was really confident it was His will, I had to do it, and I had no choice in the matter. And then he said to me, you don't have to do this. You can say no, and I will still love you. But your life won't be easier for it. And there will be other times that I ask you to trust in my promises. And I just can't tell you, like, the freedom that came when I didn't say yes. Because I didn't feel like I had to say yes. I could say no, and I wouldn't lose God's love because of it. And the yes just came from a much freer place. And so... When Mary said yes, it was from a place of freedom. And I think we often forget that. We often think that because this was God's will, she had to say yes, but she didn't. I mean, she didn't have to. No, she didn't say yes, because she said yes. In one of the propers from Vespers, we say, the mother of God, upon hearing, did not understand the message of the archangel. And then, just one line later, it says, she accepted his greeting with faith. We don't have to always understand. Right? To go back to Abraham, 
When, when God called Abram, he said, I'm going to make a blessing of you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And I'm going to give you all of these nations. You are going to like have more descendants than stars in the sky, is what he ends up saying. And, and then we know the story of Sarah conceiving of Isaac in her old age. And then, and then we have the reading from Pre-Sanctified last night when Abraham goes up to sacrifice Isaac. And like God has told him to do this, to sacrifice his only son after God has promised to make all of these nations of him. How could that possibly make sense? Abraham. It's like, I'm going to have all of these descendants, but I'm killing my only son. But he trusted in faith. You know, we, we have then in the New Testament um, where we say, like, Abraham by faith, Abraham by faith, Abraham by faith. And I think this is why um, we see Abraham's faith as so great. Is like he trusted in God's promise so much that he was willing to do the one thing that seemingly would totally scrap the promise. So that freedom, that freedom in our saying yes when God is asking something of us is I think really important. You know, you see in the, a priest pointed this out to me a couple years ago. In the icon of the Annunciation, the Holy Spirit descends upon, upon Mary. Um, where does Jesus then go? Anyone? Her tummy. Thank you, Father Michael. Jesus is in her tummy. Um, in the portrayal of the Holy Spirit up here, where are the rays pointing? Her head. They're not pointing to her stomach, right? Because this was very much an ascent of the will. It was an ascent of the intellect. And it was Mary's, it was Mary's will in her yes that then allowed the Lord to be conceived in her womb. So talking about um, the concept of Humility. What about when we feel inadequate? When we're at that stage where the Lord asks something and we say, I can't. Again, going back to the propers. In Vespers, we say, The archangel said to her, Whenever God wills, the order of nature is overcome. And that which is beyond human power is accomplished. I can do all through him who strengthens me. We then also hear at Matins, wondrous mysteries are easily accomplished when God so wills. Like, it's not even just that, like, I don't know. I think that we, we just can get this idea in our heads that like God has to do all of these crazy things to make things happen. And like for him it's actually easy. 
you know, we fall into this when we think about, like, the battle between good and evil. I think we often imagine, like, God and the devil going at it, and, and they're just, like, they're neck and neck, and then, but, like, it's not that. Like, the devil, his power doesn't even compare to God's. Um, and God can do things if he so desires, um, like, with a passing breath. And our inadequacies are nothing to him. And if the inadequacy comes through and we actually fail, then that's also God's will. And it somehow is for our good and for the good of the people around us. Because God uses all for good for those who love him. I want to say just a couple more things. I know we're, we're running... We're running short of time here. Um, one thing I want to say is we need to learn how to recognize the promises. And for that, it's very important that we have um, spiritual directors. So if you don't have a spiritual director, I recommend you get one. Uh, that's the first thing I'm going to say. Um, and none of the nuns are available. I'm going to say that now because that's always the first question that we get. And we're all full and I'm very sorry and it's very sad. And, um, you know, because as in this, this back and forth between Gabriel and Mary at Mat in Matins, there's this interesting kind of exchange where Mary seems to, like, not trust Gabriel and not trust his words. And it's not that she's lacking trust in God. It's that she's actually saying, like, are you actually who you say you are? At one point in this exchange, again, this, like, prayerful meditation, um, Gabriel says, it appears that you think I am deceiving you, and I rejoice to see your prudence. At another point, Mary says, when Eve, my mother, listened to the beguilement of the serpent, she was cast out of paradise. Therefore, I am afraid of your strange greeting, and I am cautious lest I should fall. And I think that we should take note of this caution and this prudence, because, like, one of the things that the Desert Fathers talk about just across the board is we cannot just trust our own prayer and just run with it. Because we as humans are masters of self-deception. And Satan is a master deceiver. You know, a priest shared a story with me recently about St. Philip Neri. Uh, St. Philip Neri is like a really great guy. And he, there's a lot of funny stories about him. But one is that um, he had a, a vision of Mary. And when Mary appeared to him, he spit on her. And, um, and, and when he spit on her, the image changed, and it was actually a demon. And the demon said, how did you know that I wasn't Mary? How did you know that I was a demon? And St. Philip Mary says, I didn't. <laughs> and he said, but I knew that you wouldn't have the humility to be spat upon, and you would reveal yourself. And it's just like this, I'm not recommending that you just like spit it 
Anyways, um, but I think it, it, it's a good story of like, even the things that seem very good and holy, we can't just immediately trust. And we need to run those by someone. And um, preferably a spiritual director, but if not, at least like a confessor or a trusted friend, someone who's more advanced in the spiritual life than you, something like that. Um, But here's the, the other thing about realizing the promises that, that God is making to us. We need to be careful of our expectations. Because oftentimes, I think, we ask God for something, or we're confident that God wants to give us something, because Scripture tells us that it, it delights the Father to give us good things. So we know he wants to give us good things. That is a promise he makes. But we have to remember what the ultimate promise is, which is salvation. This is the reason God became man. Some of the fathers, Irenaeus, Athanasius, God became man that man might become God. And the reason I say that we have to like manage those expectations is because I think we sometimes miss what the Lord is doing in our life because we're so stuck on it happening a certain way. I was praying recently with, um, if, you're, if you're a podcast listener, I'm sorry because you've already heard this story, but I was, I was praying recently with um, a statue of Mary meeting Jesus on the way to his crucifixion. And it's just, it's a really, really beautiful statue. And... I had really been feeling in my life like Jesus wasn't fighting for me. And I was hearing him tell me in prayer that he's fighting for me. And we hear all, of, all the time in scripture that God is fighting for us. And so like that's a promise that he makes. And I'm just like, well, I'm married to you and I'm not seeing any of that. So you can man up now. Um, is basically what I said to Jesus. I'm not very, he's very gentle with me. I'm not gentle with him. Um, it's kind of like my friendship with Father Michael. <laughs> um, and so I told Jesus to man up, and I'm like, you're saying that you're fighting for me, but you're clearly not. And, and then as I'm praying with this statue, I hear the Lord say, this is me fighting for you. And I just realized that I did exactly what so many of the Jews did in the time of Christ. Like, so many of the Jews at this time, they were, I mean, they were all expecting the Messiah to be like a military leader, right? They were expecting him to come and relieve them from this oppression. The oppression from Rome, specifically. And so when Jesus did come, and he wasn't that, a lot of the Jews missed it. 
And I'm like, that's what I've been doing. I've expected him to come and fight for me and to relieve me of these, like, temporal oppressions. But that's not what he promises. He promises salvation. The entire New Testament, after the Gospels, is about persecution. Like, all of the saints are persecuted, and they're martyred, and they're, and at the same time, like, we're talking about how, how good and beautiful the Christian life is, like, woven in that. And so it's clearly not about just relieving our temporal pain. Like, what God promises is salvation. He came to free us, not from the oppressions of the Romans. That wasn't like a Roman Catholic joke. Um... <laughs> He came not to free us from oppression in an earthly sense, but from our oppression to sin. He came to release us from our bondage, not in an earthly sense, but our bondage to death. Like, this is what Scripture tells us, and this is what God promises us. The last thing I want to say is... You know, throughout the Proppers, we talk about all of these types of Mary. We talk about the unburned bush, and we talk about Zion, and we talk about, um, oh my gosh, there's so many, and I'm not thinking of any others. Um, the mountain, and um, out of which the rock was hewn, not made by human hands, and so on and so forth. Um, so, Mary... And the Annunciation is a fulfillment of those prophecies. The Annunciation, then, is a fulfillment of these promises. The prophecies, the foreshadowings, are a promise. And as I was praying with that, I realized, like, if you don't know what God is promising you, what I would encourage you to pray with is pray with your aches. Pray with your desires. Because just as the foreshadowings of the Old Testament are a promise of what is to come, our aches are a promise. Because if we are aching for something, if there is something missing in our life, then that something is a something that the Lord wants to give us. And I tell you to keep that in mind while also keeping in mind what I just said about our expectations. Because this does not mean that God wants to fill that ache here on earth. And that's a hard thing to accept. But it does mean that in eternity, we don't have that ache. In eternity, we have everything that we need. And what I mean by that is, those aches include a really good visit from a friend who now has to say goodnight. And you have to say goodbye. And that's an ache. But it's also like the ache of infertility. It's the ache of the person who's in their 30s or 40s or 50s and is still single and thought you'd be married by now. It's the ache of feeling like you're not where you're at in your job. 
All of those aches are promises of something. And because we each have different aches, we each have different promises. And so I would tell you to take those aches to prayer and ask the Lord for the promises. And then lastly, keeping that in mind, promises are something that are to be received and not to be grasped at. And I think that, like, that might be the most important thing I have to say today is to not grasp because this is one of the most difficult things in my life because it's one of the most difficult things in all of our lives. You know, at the end of Matins today, we have a prayer. In times of old, Adam was deceived. He desired to become like God and did not. Now God becomes a man that he may make Adam God. So here's the irony of the fall. God wanted man to become God. But Adam and Eve tried to take that for themselves. They weren't taking anything that God didn't want for them eventually. But it wasn't the time and they grasped it. When, um, when I take an Old Testament class with uh, the Carnassos, some of you may know, know the Carnassos because they're California people, but um, they're Melkite priests, Father Sebastian and Father Hezekiah. And, and Father Sebastian always likes to ask, um, this is a class just for women religious, and he likes to ask us nuns, um, who was the first king of Israel? Uh, and the brilliant, oh, hi Libby! And, um, you know, there's always the person who's like read the scriptures well, and they say, well, Saul was the first king of Israel. And he says, wrong! God was the first king of Israel. And like, that was the Israelites grasping at what God already wanted to give them. God was their king. But they wanted to be like the others. They wanted to have their promise fulfilled in the way that these others were seeming to have it fulfilled, and so they grasped at that. So that's what Adam and Eve did, and that's what the Israelites did, and that's what we do every time we sin. Because every time we sin, we're grasping to fill an ache. Which means every time we sin, we're acting out of a lack of trust that God is going to give us what he promised. And we know this. Some part of us knows this, right? It's like in that moment when you're thinking, this isn't going to fulfill me, but I really want it right now, so I'm going to do it anyways. Then we do it, and then we're not fulfilled, and we're not happy, and then we're like, well, what went wrong? And we do this all the time. Um, so, you know, I had... Um, I don't know if the retreat directors or whatever, I don't know if I'm one of those people. Anyways, um, I don't know if anyone's going to be upset with me for saying this, but I would encourage 
you, like, I don't know. I don't want anyone to feel guilty either way. But, like, I know that there's time for, for small group discussions. Um, and I think it's, like, small, optional small group discussions, optional prayer time. Um, I'm fine if there are things on your heart that you guys want to talk about. Uh, and, like, please do that if you feel moved to do that. But most of the stuff that I'm bringing to you right now, like, it's probably not even discussion-type stuff. I think it's really stuff you need to pray with. I, need, I think you need to ask God, what are the promises he's making to you? What are the ways that you're aching, that you feel like he's not coming through? What are the ways that you want to say, Jesus, man up? Because he's manning up, but we just are blind to it sometimes. Um, so if it's on your heart, like, please don't feel bad of skipping the discussions and instead spending the time in prayer, because that is an option. Um, and, yeah, so the, if you're going to do that, I would say, come to prayer, ask the Lord what he's promising you, be honest with him about your aches, and also, in prayer, ask him for the self-awareness and the honesty to know where you are grasping at the promises. Like, you have priests available for confession for the rest of the day, I think. Um, and take advantage of that. Like, confession is... This isn't just a Byzantine Catholic thing. Um, like, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, confession is listed as one of the sacraments of healing. It's not just the place you go where you say, like, I've messed up, I've done these things wrong, now give me my sentence. Confession is the place where you go and you say to the Lord, I'm hurting. I'm hurting and I, I see the things that I'm doing and I see how they're hurting my relationship with you. And I don't want that. And I ask you as the divine physician to fill those aches and heal those wounds and help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. Um, 